Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Ruby Hinchliffe, Senior Reporter at FT Advisor, and today I'm joined by Sarah Lyons, Chief Marketing Officer at Parmenian, and Anna Sofat, founder of financial planning boutique for women and their families, Adidi, and now describes herself as a voice for women's wealth. Sarah, Anna, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be Hello. here. Thanks for joining us today. And and I'm excited about this episode, actually, because we're talking about something I feel is often covered, but perhaps from the wrong lens in a lot of instances. And that's how advisors, the majority of which are, are of course, men, um, should be communicating with women they manage wealth on the behalf of. So I guess to, to kick off our discussion, it'd be great to, to get a bit from you, you both on on how you think advisors should or shouldn't be talking to, to female clients. Anna, I'll, I'll come to you first. I think the starting point has to be the recognition that women think about, women are different to men. And in two aspects particularly, they have different buying style from men. Um, they tend to question and query a lot more before they are happy to commit. So there's a much more, I think, a longer sale process uh, the advisors have to go through. Secondly, they think about money differently. They think about it in sort of different pots for different purposes, which often require different levels of risk. So you can't just focus, I think, on performance and beating the markets because for many women, that comes at the very end of the, the, the process, if you like, the financial planning process. So both firms and advisors, I think, have to be mindful that women aren't the same as men. And much of financial services, including the advice process and systems and, and the selling process, particularly being designed for men by men. So I do think we need to think about what that means and being gender smart and firms having gender training for advisors and advisors themselves being conscious about their own biases and understanding what their client base or their target client base is about. And then um, dovetailing, I suppose, their conversations and their styles and, and their products to the marketplace that they want to attract in. And if that's women, then I do think they have to be different from men. Sure. And and just a follow-up question on that, having having founded your own financial planning firm, when you were when you were heading that up and growing it and and, and advisors were, were sort of being trained up because I know that you were specifically catering to women and their and their families, were there some specific yeah. kind of things that you think your advisors in your firm picked up along the way um, to have that more nuanced discussion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were simple things like, for example, if we've got somebody new coming into the firm, they would automatically have, if we had uh, a couple as as clients, they would often, if you keyed in information, they would often put the man in as the first client. Now, that isn't always the case. In, in our case, many times it was the woman who was the lead client. So it's little things like that that you you need to be aware of right throughout the process, the, the, the firm, the, the business, you have to think about, hold on a moment, what does it actually mean to be sort of gender smart here? And, it, you know, it's just not women, it's, it's, it's trans as well. Um, so I, I do think we need to be mindful until the world becomes gender smart and is designed 
you know, automatically to be gender smart. I do think we need need to think through every little part of uh, our business and how that impacts on the client side. Really, really good businesses understand and deliver to their client base really well. And we're not different in financial services. Thanks, Anna. And and Sarah, I'll come to you now and, and feel free to pick up on anything that, that Anna said. But from your experience, I know you, you're you're currently at a platform. Um, so you sort of have this sort of, um, I guess, sort of outside view looking in. How do you think advisors should or shouldn't be talking to, to their female clients? Well, I, as you say, I'm not an advisor or not anymore anyway. So Anna's much better qualified than me to talk about the specifics, but I can comment on what I see. And what I see from research and insight that I read is that women definitely need advice. The opportunity for advisors to service this woefully, frankly, underserved area of the market is big. Um, they actually control nearly 70% of wealth in across 70% of households in the UK. And by 2025, they will control 60% of all wealth in the UK. And that's largely because of increased longevity. So not only do they control the money, but they, they are going to be potentially on their own much more than a man will be um, because they outlive their, their partners. And yet, despite that, research from the Wisdom Council a couple of years ago found that 60% of women have never considered investing and 87% have never been encouraged to invest. So so women typically don't think investing is for people like them. And I suppose what I, having been in financial services for a very long time now, what I ask myself is why, why is that? And I think actually what we're looking at is, to Anna's point, are we engaging women in the conversation? This is an, a sector that has been um, defined by our regulators, by our politicians, by the people in it, who are largely men and actually still outnumber women four to one in, in this, this sector. It's largely been designed by men and that results in processes and language and um, procedures that appeal more to men, frankly. Um, so... So I think that's a real challenge for us. I also think we have to stand back and ask a, and look at the cultural conditioning and why women don't talk about money. Women are far more likely to talk, frankly, about their sex lives than they are about their finances. And um, and we have to ask why that is. And there's a cultural conditioning and general discomfort about talking about wealth amongst women. And I think that is a deeply held kind of um, cultural challenge for us. And I suppose my, my challenge for advisors would be to say, don't take, when you're talking to a woman about wealth, don't take the first answer as necessarily the real one. And, and to Anna's point, take longer, probe, really try and find out what it is that the woman wants and needs from their financial future. And I think that we may start to get some different answers. Yeah, and I think you've raised a lot of really good points there. And, and I think there is a, an attitude perhaps in some of the industry that, that women need to sort of step up more and kind of um, 
I guess, take more ownership of the, of their finances, and and especially if they're they're in a a marriage, that they you know not leave it all to the man. And and that's me sort of quoting what I've heard at various events that I've been to over the last year in this in this job. Um, and and I think that that perhaps can have a damaging effect if the expectation is on women to do all the work. Um, you know, I think like you said that it's it's the way you talk and and thinking about how you can sort of make women more confident because I think once women feel more confident then they'll be flying um and they're they're great clients to have like you said because they live longer and you know it makes a lot of financial sense to to the advisor um Anna is there anything you wanted to, to pick up on there just to say that we also need to just look at other industries and learn from it if you look at the advertising industry for example and how advertisements are are done right they talk to women the, the, the advertising industry understands women and they speak to them. I mean, you look at the car industry and it hasn't changed 100%, but very obvious example of selling cars in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, is very, very sexist. You had this image of sexy young women selling cars. It just doesn't appeal to women. You know, you're not going to go and buy a car because you've seen this, this you know, red Ferrari with a beautiful woman on top of it. The, the car industry is adapting. If you look at the advertisements, it is adapting. And we need to do the same. So in the advertising space for financial services, we are changed. But what happens then is as soon as you walk through the door, nothing much has changed. And that's, I think, what needs to be recognised, that marketing is fantastic, but we also have to look beyond the marketing to the actual processes and the systems to get them to dovetail with the messaging we're giving through our advertising. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that. And it's it's funny using the car analogy. I still find as a as a journalist that you know I'm, I'm hearing the car analogy to explain everything and anything. <laughs> still, um, I read a report recently, and the whole report was just one big car analogy. And I just thought, oh no, not again. Um, but I think in this context, it's the perfect perfect kind of um, mirroring to, to look at and and compare this sector to. Um, is it, do you think because I've seen on on Twitter, um, you know, there's a lot of advisors on Twitter these days, and and that's great for us because we can really understand where their thoughts you know lie on, on certain issues, especially when it comes to to research that's being done around um, advice and and how it's distributed to, to male versus female clients. And I've noticed that that one of the things a lot of advisors have have said in response to these research um, surveys is that actually they take the same approach to male and female. Uh, clients um, because they think it would be unfair not to have exactly the same approach. Um, Do you think that's a sort of regressive or progressive attitude to have to your your client base? Sarah, I'll I'll come to you first. I would say that, and I think the vast majority of financial advisors would agree with me, that advice shouldn't be cookie cutter. So you can take man number one and man number two, and there'll be completely different individuals with completely different wants and needs, and the same happens for for women. So so actually, um, everyone's an individual. Um, The challenge for us, I think, and actually women, is challenging our own unconscious biases. So um, if I look at what I see at Parmenian, um, women, for example significantly over-index in lower-risk solutions than men. And yet 
any research program or research that you see in this area, women aren't more risk averse than men when it comes to investing. So why is that happening? Is it the the client and their um, inherent beliefs or cultural conditioning around investing? Or is it the advisor having some unconscious bias in the advice that they're giving? And the truth is, it's probably a bit of both. And I think what we need to do is really challenge ourselves and probe and question correctly to try and get the right outcome. Because the reality is, is that if client, if women are over-indexing in lower risk solutions, their potential returns are lower and therefore that exacerbates any kind of gender pensions gap, for example, that there might be. Sure, that makes sense. And, and Anna, I'll, I'll come to you on this one. Please, please do answer the sort of the overarching question of, of whether it's sort of aggressive or progressive to have the same approach to male and female clients. But it'd be also interesting to, to understand the sort of differences in language that perhaps could be used to take those different approaches between male and female. Because I think a lot of advisors perhaps don't don't really get that far as to, to use different languages. I think it's actually regressive. And it's not it's not because I'm prejudiced in this space. But I think about it, you wouldn't you know, the the market for male clients isn't uniform either. And advisors and firms do adjust to that difference. So, for example, if you are um, looking after male entrepreneurs, for example, you wouldn't be uh, having the same products or processes or uh, the way, way you would approach selling or bringing clients in as, for example, retired plumbers. You just wouldn't do that. You would have different, you know, you would have thought through differenceness. That's what all client segmentation is about, is difference. So absolutely, you treat them the same in the sense that you would have the same level of respect. You would have the same level of commitment. You would have the same um, level of focus and fairness Absolutely. In that sense, it ought to be equal across everybody, men and women. But to say that actually you sit and, you know, you behave exactly the same, I, I think is a bit disingenuous because you, you wouldn't be the same for argument if you had a, an elderly man or woman who didn't understand perhaps who was vulnerable. You wouldn't do it. So I, I think realistically we do behave differently when when we have different people sitting in front of us and it is it is smart to be different I, I i would sit and listen to clients and i would try to really put all of me outside and just be there to listen to them as counselors do as coaches do and i think that's what we have to think about is that you are there not to superimpose your your belief systems or whatever. You're there to really, really understand the client well. And to do that, I do think you have to be uh, understandable of the nuances that you might face across from the table. So I, I think until we are much more gender smart in our businesses, in our world, we have to be much more conscious that just by being neutral, we might be actually bringing prejudice that we, we're not aware of into, into the room and into the conversation. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, 
obviously you you built your business on the on the foundations of kind of looking through a particular lens to, to to help women with their wealth obviously there are a lot of firms out there that don't have that specific kind of uh, target market but obviously a lot of their clients are still women it'd be interesting to hear from you kind of maybe a some of the suggestions of ways that the industry could kind of put those sorts of things in place is it would it be through training is it through just sort of um i guess sort of sending firms sending their advisors to certain events to 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 get them to sort of open up their minds more how do you think the industry can tackle this i think the first thing probably i would say is to actually um do some client research among your own client base and have you know maybe do some qualitative uh, research in in terms of how are they finding your services now now chances are i mean they're there because they like you women women try, uh, women work with people they trust okay? and part of the reason i think they don't engage with financial services is exactly because they don't don't get to a point where they feel all the questions and queries have been answered to a satisfaction level where they trust um, somebody sitting across the table from them. And even if they commit, I think part of the reason a lot of women are lower risk uh, in in portfolios is is there is bias definitely from advisors, but also actually because they don't feel necessarily if you're all you're doing is pushing performance and outperformance and performance comes with risk they automatically step back and go let me just try that a little bit and I'll see how I go and so they will go much more slower you know at ED we didn't have issues with women taking risk in their portfolios but they took it once we had deep conversations about exactly what it meant for them and the outcomes and so they automatically then would say, right, this is the part I'm going to take high risk on. I can afford to lose this. But this bit over here is actually for my children, for my family, and it's, it's something I don't want to take huge amounts of risk with. So that's the other aspect, I think, in industry is the client won't necessarily have the same approach to all, all their money as, as we tend to think about. M- men will. They'll they look at their whole investment pot as one thing and probably take one level of risk with it. And that doesn't suit women. So I, I think we have to be much more, we, we really have, there is lots and lots of research, as Sarah will tell you. And we have to understand that research. And then we have to understand how that translates for the women that we already look after. And can we do things better for them? And and understanding that research, having those conversations and doing your own research with your own clients and then seeing whether you can be much more smarter than perhaps you have been to date. I think that's really, really good good advice, Anna. I think, yeah, looking specifically at your own client pool, because that will be different to the mass, the mass industry. Sarah, did you have anything you wanted to add? Just building on... Anna's point really that women tend to engage at a more emotional level in their financial um, in their finances and what that then means in terms of outcomes. So for example, at Parmenian, um, women over-index in ethical ESG type solutions. And 
I don't actually believe that that's because women care more inherently than men about our environment or corporate and social responsibility. I think it's because they engage in their finances at a more emotional level than perhaps men do. And I think that um, that's just an interesting lens to to look at it in terms of engaging in mo- having the conversation at an emotional level rather than a factual one when when you're talking about financial um, products and services and see what outcome that leads you to with the with the woman I also and this isn't an area being very honest I know much about but I do wonder what happens in a dynamic with a couple with an advisor and how advisors engage with women when they're part of a couple in that financial advice process and whether there's anything we can do differently there perhaps. Yeah because I wondered this because like I referenced earlier this event where you know um, a certain advisor from, from a certain sort of quite large national firm was saying that you know I women step up you know like I've had many situations where the the husband has died and then the 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 widow has no idea what financial situation she's in and she's terrified and you know but I think that it'd be interesting to know how many advisors will default accept the sort of man in the relationship um to, to kind of manage everything and it'd be interesting to know how many advisors actually say well look I think the best way to work with you is to have both of you in in the meetings and and to engage both of you equally and 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 perhaps actually explain the benefits of 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 a wife getting involved as well as the husband. Obviously, I'm, I'm talking in the scenario of a, of a heterosexual relationship, um, but it seems that that's the the, the most prominent issue here. Um, and it'd be interesting to know how many advisors actually try and have that group conversation from the start and develop individual relationships with both of them. And and that's the point is, and you know, Anna's probably got view on this but I do wonder whether there's any value in the advisor talking separate talking together as a couple and treating the financial advice process for the couple in front of them but also maybe having individual conversations with each to prevent because sometimes you will always get a dominant individual and a less dominant individual in a a relationship and sometimes that'll be the other way around right let's be honest Um, but but I think sometimes speaking individually could maybe yield different different results but um Anna's probably got a view yeah so I, I I do think I mean there is some research and I can't remember the statistics about how many women change advisors when their partners pass away it's it's a very big number it's about 80 percent, and that I think is yeah and that is obviously very telling in terms of just how valued or at home they felt with the advisor's that they their partner engaged with, so I think there's a huge opportunity missed here in bringing the women properly into that relationship. And I know some advisors are now beginning to insist on having both partners, you know, at, at particularly at beginning of the relationship, so that you can actually get to know what matters to them. And I think when you're when you're in a room with two people it's really important that both of them are engaged in in that conversation. And that may mean that you have different meeting with, with the woman to basically get underneath her skin so that you can actually bring her into those joint meetings and conversations particularly. So I think it's going to take some effort and thought to do that. I know um, I think some of the banks are definitely 
beginning to have processes into place for advisors, partic- you know, particularly focus on this issue uh, because, you know, they want to protect their, their business. So there's, I think, a, a lot of work that can be done to engage with women in, in those joint relationships right now because I think that will make a huge difference to women engaging and bringing other women into the industry. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I agree. I mean, and also, I mean, we, we've, we've not really talked much about it, but I thought it was important to touch upon before we, we finish up, which is the sort of current state of play in, in terms of gender equality in the advice industry. I'm actually waiting on back on an FOI from the FCA to see, you know, what the gender split is amongst advisors. But I know, obviously, it's, it's going to be the majority male. But I wanted to ask ask you both kind of, I mean, we're talking about you know, advisors getting more into the the, the couple dynamic and, and and talking to 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 people individually, perhaps rather than collectively. You know, maybe there's there's ways as well that male and female advisors can team up with certain kind of clients to try and because I, I wonder whether another issue is that we don't have enough female advisors relating to to other women. But I would want to get your kind of kind of opinion on this and, and and how perhaps the lack of female advisors has seeped into to perhaps the advice given to, to women over over the decades. Anna, I'll, I'll come to you first. I think there are um, a couple of things here to um, consider. One is, yes, definitely the number of female advisors matter. It matters hugely because other women then don't come into industry if they don't see many women advisors. So we do need to make a real concerted effort to bring women in and then to retain them. Now, on the good side, I think the self-employed model often and the commission-based model uh, and target-based selling model didn't suit many women. I know, you know for myself that if somebody gave me a target and say, you've got to bring 300K worth of new business each year or 500K, it just turns me off. I set myself target all the time. If somebody say to me, this is what is, you know, a successful advisor in this firm looks like, this is what we expect, go and make it happen. I would come up with my own plan and, and get that business in. So I think we do need to think about, you know, things have changed. There's a lot more employed advisors. I think there's a lot more flexibility. I mean, so there is a lot of positiveness coming in, but I do think there still needs a lot more work to be done because I think last statistic I had, it was something like 14 or 17% of advisors were women. But on the upside, I do see a lot of younger women coming in who are determined to bring change into industry. Many of them are setting up their own businesses so they could do business their own way. And it's such a flexible not, not just flexible, but it's such a fantastic job because it's about relationship. Women get relationships and they're really good. You know, it needs emotional intelligence and women are good at that. And you can dovetail it to fit around family and and all sorts. So it's a fantastic job to, for women to be in. And I do think hopefully in 20 years time, we'll see a very different profession than we are right now. Um, but we do need more women and we need them to be more profiled so that others can come in. Because it's not just about the number of advisors. We have pensions and savings gap as 
Sarah was talking about earlier, right? Women's money is sitting in cash in banks because they're not engaging. And I do think the sheer number of having more female advisors will bring more female clients in to the industry as well. Thanks, Hannah. And and yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of research done by by the PFS um, around this and, and the way that the advisor role is pitched to women um, throughout the industry and, and that it needs to be pitched in a different way so as not to, to put them off. Um, Sarah, do, do you want to add anything on this? So I think, you know, to Anna's point, I think what's put women off historically is these... Um, previously the previously accepted culture and behaviors in the whole sector really and, and I think that goes right through asset management and providers platforms through through to advisors and I think there's something we can learn about the language that we use when we're recruiting I would also say um, be conscious about it I think we all have inherent biases to recruit people like me because that's where we feel comfortable and I think that um, if you're conscious that that would be that will be the the way that you behave unconsciously, you can start to fight against it. And I would say seek and you will find. So hunt in the right places. Don't do positive discrimination. Um, I don't think that's helpful to any cause here, but there are plenty of women who will be outstanding um, in t- in terms of um, developing their careers either in advice or provider side um, and I think if we look in the right places and we use the right language we will find that talent and we can all agree I think that this sector needs more talent because that's what will help it thrive. Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Sarah. And I think that's that's all we've got time for today. But I want to I want to thank you, Sarah and and Anna, for for such a brilliant brilliant discussion. I think we've we've hit on a, a lot of really important topics, and I think a lot of advisors will gain a lot from from listening to this. Um, which brings me to say thank you for for listening, and and please do tune again um in next week for for our next edition of the podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.